All right, Exodus, if you go with me, please, to Exodus chapter 19. I want to welcome everybody to our evening service here at Ranchero Drive Baptist Church. And uh, thank you for those of you that watch via Facebook and YouTube. And uh, we appreciate that very much. And I'm glad to have uh, our church family here tonight as well. Nearly all of them, a couple folks are out, but we praise the Lord for those that are here. And I pray that you'll be blessed tonight as we examine uh, these passages tonight. We want to, you know, uh, we've started on the, uh, the book of Exodus and we're doing the Old Testament basics. Just kind of skimming that rock, kind of like how you do on a pond. And we're just dipping down a few times. And, and the book of Exodus can be divided up, I said last week, into three particular areas. One is the actual departure. And we looked at that. The next one is the law. And that's what we're going to examine tonight. And then, Lord willing, uh, next week, well, we, next Sunday, we will look at the tabernacle, the tabernacle. And tonight, we want to look at the giving of the law. And uh, look at it here with, with me uh, in chapter 19, in chapter 19. And uh, I, I want to... Uh, I want to read this uh, first verse to us, chapter 19. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And, uh, and so uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin, all right? Father, I sure do thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, that we have something that we can trust and something from which we can learn and something, Lord, from which we can feed, to feed our souls and to strengthen that new life, that new man on the inside, that it might be strengthened with might. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for preserving your precious word for us. And I thank you, Father, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit illuminating our hearts and minds. And I pray, Father, for his illumination tonight, that as I speak on the outside, Lord, you'll speak to them on the inside. We love you and we need you, Father, now. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, uh, would you agree with me tonight that our, our country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles or Christian-Judeo principles, however you, however you like to word that? I, I would say that's true. It was founded upon those principles when the when the pilgrims came over here and so forth you know they were looking for religious freedom and the like but I but I we also have to say though it was founded on principles it's not necessarily been founded upon the precepts of the Bible you know there are some things in other words the the, the law of God has set a much higher standard for us than the United States Constitution I mean, I thank God for the Constitution, but I thank God for a Bible. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And, uh, and it has a higher, and, and uh, it, in other words, the standard of morality and holiness is much greater than what we find in the Constitution. Now, these Ten Commandments that we'll look at tonight, they're referred to sometimes as the Law of Moses. Sometimes they're referred to as what's called the Decalogue. Deca being a... One of those metric terms for 10, all right, the Decalogue. But, but nonetheless, the interesting thing about the Ten Commandments is, is that they are given in a concise language 
and yet are, are very comprehensive in their scope. There's some 286 words given in those Ten Commandments. But you think about how broad in scope it is that it covers so many areas of our life. And, uh, and so God, you know, has given this to the nation of Israel. And he said, ye shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. He was wanting them to understand some things about himself. Now, there's a lot of people that say, you know, we don't need the Ten Commandments. And in some places, they've already been removed from some public buildings and courthouses and so forth, like in Alabama and other places. And, uh, and they say that, you know, they say that it's outdated and therefore it's out of style and America doesn't need it. But the truth of the matter is, it's not that it's, not that it's way behind. It, the truth of the matter is, is that it's actually way ahead of us. Yes. Men have never reached the pinnacle of the law and have still not. And as a matter of fact, we're losing ground in, in terms of morality every day in our country. We are. You know, I read, uh, this was in the national news, but I read in the national news, and we're going to cover one of those things here. There was a man who was, uh, he was robbed and, uh, at gunpoint, and he was attacked by the man, and he was able to disarm the man, and the, the gun went off and shot the man in the chest. And now in the city of, it happened in New York, in the city of New York, they've charged that man with murder and they've put him in jail, even though it wasn't his gun. It was the assailant's gun and uh, the gun went off twice while they're wrestling, while he's struggling for his own life. And he turns and shoots the bad guy and the bad guy dies and they have charged him with murder. And by the way, it's the same district attorney that's wanting to indict uh, former President Trump. I'm telling you, we, we are, we're in a mess. I, you, I, man, Lord, you'd have to show me in triplicate that I was supposed to go and minister in New York. I mean, I, I just, I, I just, I just, I don't know. I just, I say, I say good on those that are up there. I know they need the gospel. Amen. They desperately do as do men everywhere. But I'm just saying that, that uh, our, our country, we're so messed up. And if we would just get, you know, if we would just get back to the Bible, how that would help us, how that would help homes and families, our nation, our government, even our status in the world. Now, now the Bible teaches us that the law, according to the New Testament, was given for was given for three distinct purposes, and none of which were to replace faith, because in the book of Galatians it says this. It says, is the law then against the promises of God? And the obvious answer to that is no. The law of God is not against the promises of God. God forbid. For if there had been given a law, correction. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. So we know that the law was not given for a righteous man, but for the unrighteous. And so one of the things, one of the reasons that God gave the law was to reveal his holiness to man. Just what he said there in that passage, ye shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. He was revealing something about himself in the giving of the law. He was revealing his holiness to the, to, to the nation of Israel. And on top of that, he was also revealing their sinfulness. 
It's part of the reason why the law came. The law came to show man his sinfulness. That's why I said the law wasn't made for a righteous man, but for the unrighteous. According to 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 9, it was made for all those, that list of sins. Well, let's go there. Go to 1 Timothy with me. Keep your place there in Keep your place there in chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19, and uh, keep your place there. And let's go to 1 Timothy. Go to 1 Timothy with me, please. And look in chapter 1. Uh, and notice what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And look with me in verse 9. Notice what he says. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. He wanted them to have that law. The law was given so that men would see how far they had fallen short of God's glory. And without that, I mean, I, I think about it with me. I mean, I could guess how how, uh, how tall that door jam is right there. I might say maybe that, that door jam might be 80 inches, or I might say it might be 84 inches, but if I wanted to know for sure exactly what it was, I need to put a tape measure up there, don't I? And if I put the tape measure up there from the floor to the top of that casing, it would tell me exactly what the distance is, and then I would know. And so God gave that law as a standard to show men where they were. It's kind of like what we used to do, what my parents would do. Anyway, when we were growing up, if we lived in a house long enough, there were some marks that were on the inside of the door jam. Did you ever do that? We we had some of those, and uh, and we would put them on there. And so when we sold the house, some of my grandkids were a little bit upset about that. Like, well, well, those are our marks on there, you know, where we had where we were growing. And so what would you do? You'd put the mark on there that you could measure. It. Hey, you're you're three foot nine, or or whatever it was. And so it was an accurate way to reveal God's holiness and to reveal man's sinfulness and then something else it was also given so as to register israel's privilege from all the other nations go with me go, turn back to the middle of your bible go to psalm 147 with me please psalm 147 and look at this passage david writes and tells us why god gave them the law Psalm 147. If you get to the book of Proverbs, just turn back a couple of psalms and you'll be there. Psalm 40, 147. And look at verse 19 with me, please. Psalm 147, verse 19. Notice what he said. He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and judgments unto Israel. Now notice something. He, verse 20. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. What was he saying? He was writing here. He was praising God because God had shown his 
judgments, his statutes to the nation of Israel and not given them to any other nation that, ever, that then was. And they were not known under those other nations, but God wanted them to know them. Because remember, part of what God was doing was he was going to show himself to the world that then was through the nation of Israel. And they were going to have an opportunity to reflect that. They were to glorify God in the world that then was. Now we know that they failed at that. And now that responsibility has fallen upon the church. Unto him be glory in the church, Paul wrote. And said that's what we're to be about. And we're to glorify the Lord in everything that we do. And so the, 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 the law was given to reveal God's holiness. It was also given to reveal man's sinfulness. And then number three, to register, <coughs> pardon me, Israel's privilege that they had in receiving the word of God. Paul even wrote about this in, in the book of Romans and said that these oracles were first given. The word of God was first given to the Jew. And they were the ones that preserved us in part. The Masorites of the Old Testament, the Pharisees of the New Testament and so forth. They kept that true. And we have it preserved for us today in the English language, in the King James Bible. And we're, we are glad about that today. We're, we're blessed by that. So let's look at some things. Look in chapter 20 with me. Chapter 20. And notice what it says. All right. And here we're going to find... Here we're going to find the law of Moses, and we want to look at these things. I want you to see that these Ten Commandments were given, the commandments were given to govern moral life. The moral life of the nation of Israel. Now notice it with me. Notice what it says. Look there with me, please, in verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now notice what he says. Look at verse 3. Here's where they start. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There is the very first commandment. And these first four that we're going to see tonight are all going to be Godward in nature. Godward in nature. And this very first one says, have no other gods before me. In other words, what the Lord is doing, he is telling them who to worship. He is telling them who to worship. Now, why we say, why in the world would he do that? Well, think about it. Where did they come from? Where had they come out from? They had come out from the land of Egypt. And in the land of Egypt, they had a God for everything. They worshiped, uh, they worshiped the Nile River. They worshiped the crocodile. They worshiped the crane. They worshiped uh, the, a bug, the scarab. They, they worshiped some other things that were out there in nature and some things which were not combinations of things. And they worshipped a man. They worshipped Pharaoh. They thought that he was a god. He was divinely sent and so forth. And of course, he wasn't. A, he would he would promote that about himself. All right. And uh, but so here, God is revealing Himself and says, "Thou shalt have no other gods before me." They needed the truth about the one true and living God. And you know what? We still live in a world where people today worship a lot of other things. Some of them worship the creation more than the creator. I mean, they'll spend, they'll spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to help a whale get turned around if it was over there in the West Coast someplace and went up into a river, but, but they, they, they wouldn't do anything. I mean, you know, they, they'll spend money on that, but these are the same people that think that you ought to be able to abort a child. 
I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. They, they will go to all those lengths to save the spotted owl, to save a whale, to save a plant, to save this or that. But they don't think about saving a child in the womb. They don't think about that. I'm telling you, it's mixed up. They worship the, they worship the creation more than the creator. There are some people that are in love with this world. I mean, they're in love with the trees. And, you know, we mockingly have said, you know, some of, we, we call them tree huggers. And now listen, I know that we need trees. Trees give off oxygen. The plant life gives off oxygen that we need. And we give them in return in exchange. We put off CO2, which is what they need. God has a perfect balance in these things. So I don't believe that every tree, so don't go away, though maybe some of you at home or even here, don't go away and say, Brother Ed said we just ought to cut down all the trees, make everything like the Sahara Desert. I, I don't think that way at all. That's ridiculous. But I'm just saying is that, man, I, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't give my life for those things. I certainly wouldn't stand on a street corner and protest over those things. And so there are these the land that we live in, they, we are prone to worship other things. And so God wanted them to know they should not have any other gods besides him, which really are no gods. They can't do anything. They can't do anything. And, uh, and so here it plainly teaches them who to worship. And they were, they were being introduced, man, to the God of the universe. And he knows what he says. I am the Lord thy God. Man, it's personal here, isn't it? And he was their God. I will be there. They're going to be my children and I'm going to be their God. And, uh, and what a blessing that was. It was personal in its content. And so they needed that truth. And you, so, so, you know, think about how God has revealed himself to this world. One, creation does reveal him. He is revealed in creation. The Bible says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Romans 1 and 20. You, you know, you can't go out there and look at a flower or some of these things or, or look at, at what's in nature and not realize that there had to be a creator. Yes. There had, you know, just like the watch you got on your arm, that thing didn't make itself. It had a designer and it had a maker. Somebody had to come up with that. And, uh, and so it is, God wanted them to see that, to have no other God. So creation revealed that, and so does conscience. In the same chapter in the book of Romans, it says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. God showed it unto them. So men know, that's why, that's why men on some of the countries where, where we have sent missionaries, some of them have looked up there in the sky or they've looked around in creation and said, man, this couldn't have just happened by itself. You know, I remember talking with some of the men in New Guinea that the first time they went out of the country, you know, we, we, think, about, we think about how big Texas is and we look at it on a map and so forth. But it's when you go to another place and, and you see some things. And anyway, so the first time that one of those men that he was able to leave the country, I don't know if he was going to Australia, he was going, I think it was when he went to America. And, uh, but he was just so surprised by how small the country was from the air. You know, because while he was walking around on the ground, it just seemed like, man, Papua New Guinea, it's just so big, it's, big, it's huge. You know, but when he got out there and then he saw the Great Barrier Reef outside the country of Australia, he looked down there and there was Port Moresby and there was half the country and so forth. Looking, man, we're, 
There's a whole lot more out here. In other words, it was an eye-opening experience for him. And so down deep on the inside, God has put that in there. He has revealed himself unto those men. And uh, as a result that they, if they want to know him, I think he'll move heaven and earth to bring someone across their path that has the gospel. And, uh, and I believe he does that. So have no other gods. Now, notice the second one. Look at verse 4. And thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my Commandment. So that second commandment, the first one was have no other gods. The second one is make no graven images. So what was he doing? He knows that men are prone to worship. We, we live, we did at one time in what's called an animistic society. Animists believe that there is a spirit world. I mean, hey, you don't have to go very far. You probably could find a palm reader. Are there any palm readers around here? In, in and around the area of Curve Hill, and a little old town. I bet you there are. I bet if I were to look them up, I bet there'd be some. Uh, uh, Mrs. So-and-so or whatever can read your palm or give you a reading or you don't look at all the people. They still produce a horoscope, don't they? Yeah. The horoscope, that's what I call it, the horoscope. They put that in, they put that in the newspaper. Why? Because some people believe in the astrological things and the, you know, when, like the song says, when, uh, when Jupiter is aligned with Mars and that was the age of Aquarius. Do you remember that back in the 60s? That was before y'all's time, all right? And, uh, and people from another dimension sang it. It was called the fifth dimension, okay? And, uh, but my, my point is, is to have no graven images. God knew that men would do that. He even warned them about don't worship the things that are in the heavens. Don't worship them. Because he knew what men were prone to do. And uh, so the first one was who to worship, and the second one is how to worship. How to worship. We don't bow down to statues and images, and we know that people do that to this very day. You know, they have eyes, but they can't see. They have hands, but they can't feel. They've got feet, but they can't walk. They might have a tongue in there, but they can't talk. They can't speak. They're just made of wood and stone and other things, and they have no life in them. And, and the book of Psalms is very clear about those things. Have, have, no, have no fellowship with those works of darkness and do not be involved in those things, all right? And so we're not to do so is considered to be an idolater. An idolatry, an idol. He didn't want them to worship them. He wanted them to be worshiped, all right? And is deserving of our worship. And, uh, and so look at the next one with me. I'm just trying, we're just skimming a rock going across here tonight as we look at the law and keeping in mind why it was given. Look with me in verse 7. Notice what it says. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So what does this simply mean? It means it's, this has to do with the abuse of God's name. This has to do with profanity, those profane persons 
that, that Paul wrote to Timothy about. And you know, uh, you know, if you went to a stream and it had, it had bitter water and sweet water, do you think you'd go back to it a third time? You probably wouldn't. Why? Because it wasn't trustworthy. And the book of James writes about the tongue and says it ought not to be so. We ought not to, we ought not to curse men and bless God out of the same mouth. We shouldn't do that. And, uh, and so when, when we got saved, our vocabulary changed. Amen. And so what this has to do with is using his name without authority, inappropriately, and so forth, whether in anger or rage or frustration, that's not the purpose of it. And really what it shows when men do that, it shows that they have a contempt for God. And he warns them about not doing that. Don't do that. Don't take his name in vain. Listen, God wants us to pray. God wants us to call upon him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but not in a vain way, not, not even to ask amiss or to consume it upon our own lust. God's not going to answer those prayers. And so we need to be mindful about that, all right? And so they were not to take his name in vain. Now look at, look at the fourth command. Remember, these are all God words. Have no other gods. Don't make any graven images. Don't take my name in vain. And number four, remember the Sabbath to do what? Remember the Sabbath, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord hath made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so, uh, and so we, we've got to think about this. We've got to spend just a little bit of time here. I, I, want you, I want you to see something about this. What you and I have to consider in this, in this statement, in this particular statement where it says, remember the Sabbath day, what period of time was this? The period of time, this was an Old Testament time. They were just coming into God's economy. They were just learning about it because the tabernacle is going to come. And so this is not the dispensation of grace. This is beginning the dispensation of the law. And, uh, and the law demanded certain things of them. And so the time frame is back then. It's not as it is today. Yet there are some people who met for services yesterday because they still believe you have to keep the laws of Moses as well as believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're not in that time frame. So you have to consider what period of time was there and, uh, and what people were involved. So who are the people here of this? The people here are Jewish. They are Jewish. I don't know. I don't, I'm not seeing anybody here that's, that's, I don't think that you're Jewish. All right. I have some in my ancestry somewhere back in there, according to what my DNA says. But, uh, but I'm not living in that time frame. And so the period of time matters and the people matter. You always, whenever you read your Bible, you have to figure out, number one, who's doing the talking. And number two, who were they talking to? And number three, what were they talking about? And, and what time frame? What time frame? So the period is here. The people are here. And then what is the principle that we get from this? 
Because what we're doing today, we're meeting today. We meet on the first day of the week. They were told to keep the Sabbath. That was the last day of the week. And the last day of the week is Saturday. And that's why they were worshiping on Saturday. So why do we do it differently today? Well, they gathered on the first day of the week. Pentecost was on the first day of the week when the church was birthed. They took up collections on the first day of the week. And he said, when you gather together, when you meet together on the first day of the week. And so we worship the resurrection came on the first day of the week. And so we're here, we're celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ every time we meet on a Sunday. Now, I think every day is resurrection day, amen. But, uh, but in the specifics of it, we, we are here today because, that, because this is the day that we celebrate on a Sunday, the first day of the week, when the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. Also, the Bible was finished on the first day of the week. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, what day was that? That was Sunday. I was in the Spirit of the Lord's day when that revelation of Jesus Christ was given to him. And completed out that text. So we have a lot of reasons why we meet on Sundays. Why we celebrate in, in the dispensation in which we live. Which is different from those in that day. So, so let's understand something. Notice something that's mentioned here. There are some principles here. I want you to see first of all. There is the principle of work. Work. Notice what he said. Six days shalt thou labor and do thy work. So God... God is interested in our work ethic and the habits that we have, all right? And also the matter of worship, when we worship. So both work and worship, are, they are not opposed to each other. Now, now, when you think about it, Jesus comes along and will teach us in the New Testament that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So what was it? Yes, it was a day of rest. Yes, it is a day where, uh, where we should be able to do some things and so forth. And uh, that it was given to man. You work in six days and you have one for rest. And so God is not a promoter of slothfulness or uh, being a sluggard or being lazy or whatever. He said six days shalt thou work. And on that one day then it is a day of rest. So work and rest, really, when you think about it, when you're working, who are you, who are you, who are you working for? You say, well, I work for myself. I, I hope not. You really, as a believer, we're working for the Lord, are we not? And those whom we serve, whether it be a client or whether it be an employer, they get our best because really we're working for the Lord and they just get in on the blessing. And so your working really is even a form, if you will, to a degree, is a little bit of worship. Why? We've gotten this health, we've gotten this skill, we've gotten all these things, and we're serving the Lord. And in doing so, we're worshiping Him. And so uh, don't let someone, don't let someone uh, throw you a bill, of, a, a bill of goods or whatever and say that those things are in opposition to each other because they're not. There's some principles here. And so... God has God had a good work ethic and has given that to mankind and given that to them. All right, so those first four, they are all Godward. Have no other gods before me. Don't put anyone in priority before me. Don't make any graven image of me out of anything out of the earth or the ground or above or in the sky. Don't do that. All right. <coughs> 
don't take his name in vain and then remember the sabbath day to keep it holy and that power that part of holiness was the, the word holy means to be set apart it means to be sanctified it means to be set apart but they turned it into something a whole lot i mean a whole lot more you know some of them they could only travel just so far on that saturday man i know i know some folks i don't know how far you know we're not really all that far apart here between the church and where you live it might be maybe tops maybe six miles seven miles maybe tops you know i i some people that where i came from man they traveled over 20 miles one way just to get there and uh but you know there were limitations on on the sabbath day that's why they would have to put things out it was really it was so burdensome what they did they would have to put things out like on a friday and then stage it so they could travel just so far on Saturday, then have food that was already there prepared for them. I mean, gosh, they probably didn't go out of town very often because I mean, it was, and I'm just being silly right there because I mean, it was a, it was a big, it was a big ordeal to do that, to travel and have every, all the arrangements made in preparation so you wouldn't violate the Sabbath. Boy, aren't you glad we're under the dispensation of grace? Amen. I thank God for that. So these first four, they are all heavenward. They're all Godward. And the last six, and we're going to go through these, the last six, uh, and I'll speak on them briefly, the last six all have to do with manward. The first four are vertical. The last six are horizontal. That's why we say, you know, if you're right in this area, you're liable to be right in this area. But if you're not right in this area, horizontally you're not going to be right vertically and so notice this first one notice what it says look in verse 12 with me he said honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the lord of thy god giveth thee so honor father and mother the new testament tells children to be obedient to their parents and then uh, as it is fit in the Lord, and it says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And the promise here is of long life, if you've honored your parents. Now, what does that mean exactly to honor your parents? I think when the first one talks about children obey your parents as it is fit in the Lord, I think what this has to do with is while those children are at home, they're being obedient to their mom and dad. When the passage says, honor thy father and mother, it means you're living a life in such a way that it does bring honor to them after you've left the nest, after you're grown and gone. You've not become a parasite on society. You're not a, you don't cause problems wherever you go. You haven't tarnished your parents' good name. Amen, you understand? And, uh, and so honoring their, honoring your father and mother is, uh, is living in such a way that you are contributing to society, that you're living a life that honors them in the position that they held and speaks well about those things. And so, uh, you know, but we're living in a time where that's not necessarily so. I've seen some of the kids that get out there and I say, man, the, the, the poor parents, you know, and how they behave and what they say and what they do and how they carry on these days. But here we are to honor our father and mother, and God says when you do that, you'll have a longer life. Now the Bible says in the book of Psalms that all the days of man are three score and 10, right? A score is 20 years, so three score is 60. You add 10 to that, that's 70, and it says four score by reason of strength. So some, so some of you men here, you've been pretty strong. 
I just made that three score and ten. All right, and uh, and so, but I, I think so. Are are you nearly eighty, brother? In July, coming up, what's going to be here for you? Know it. All right. And so, and some of you already have already breached that, I suppose. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. And uh, and so, uh, us young folks, we we'll, we just have to carry on a little bit longer. All right. And uh, and so anyway, but honoring your parents, honoring your parents, being grateful for some things, and how you live. You know, it's not what you leave behind, it's what you leave in them that makes a difference. And man, if you've had parents that love God and love the things of God and tried to instill those things, you ought to thank God for that. If you have a godly heritage, you ought to thank God for that. And, uh, and what a blessing that is. All right, let's look at the next one. Look at verse 13. Boy, this is one thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Boy, this one, this is a big deal. You know, people... They, they get this so confused. Again, they don't mind aborting a baby, but that, but if, if the executioner has to deal with someone in a prison, they protest and they say, thou shalt not kill and all these things. And it's because they really don't understand what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. They really don't. What this has to do with the word kill here has to do with the word murder. Murder. Thou shalt not commit murder. That would be like homicide, that would be suicide, that would be infanticide. That's the killing of a child, of an infant. And so those kind of things are not to be there. Because, but what, what this doesn't teach, it, what it doesn't teach, now listen to what I'm saying, what it doesn't teach, it's not wrong to protect yourself from someone who would hurt or harm your family. It's not wrong to do that. That's not considered murder. That's considered self-defense. At least it is in some places. At least it would be here in Texas. Amen. Considered self-defense. It doesn't mean that you can't kill animals for food to harvest them. According to Psalm 8, God has given us dominion over the fowls of the air and the fish of the sea and the beasts of the land. And it doesn't mean that we can't, that the government or that those in authority can't execute capital punishment and execute those individuals whose crimes are so heinous that it would be a danger to society to have them out there should they get away. Go to Genesis chapter 9 with me. Genesis chapter 9. Just in case you didn't know it, do you know who the author of capital punishment is? If you don't know, we're fixing to read it. I'm going to tell you. Genesis 9 teaches us that God is the author of capital punishment. <clears throat> Notice what it says. Let's go back. Verse 1. And God blessed Noah, Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. And replenish the earth, and the fear of you, and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. It wasn't that way when it was back in the garden, or immediately outside the garden. It wasn't that way prior to the flood. Men were herbivores. Men were vegetarians. They ate of the they ate of the trees and, and of the ground and so forth that was there. They were not meat eaters before the flood. Notice what this says. And, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. 
So we're, we haven't violated anything when we take things in accordance with the laws of the land. If it says you can take five deer, then don't take six or seven or whatever. You can take five. Don't be a poacher. Don't break the law. But we're not guilty of doing any of that if we're just taking game that we can feed our families. God says that's all right. All right? Notice what it says. Verse 3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. We don't have to be uh, vegans. We don't have to be vegetarians. Now, if that's your choice, hey, more power to you. My thing is, I, I just always say, where's the beef? Amen. I'm, I'm a meat eater, a meat lover. And, and God has said, that's all right. So do, thou shalt not kill doesn't apply to this. All right. Look at verse 4. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, ye shall not eat. In other words, God wants us to stay away from bloody things. In other words, something that is raw. Now watch. Look at verse 5. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it, at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Verse 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God made he man. So what is he telling us right there? He's telling us that if a man takes another man's life willfully, intentionally, that's murder, and, and the prohibition, thou shalt not kill, does not apply to that individual. In the book of Proverbs, it says that when a man takes another man's life, it says, let him flee to the pit, let no man stay him. In other words, no stay of execution, no withholding the judgment. It is to be, that sentence is to be carried out. And so, uh, so when you've got kinfolk and friends, a lot of times they just don't know what the Bible says. Even Jesus told those Pharisees, he said, ye do err not knowing the scriptures. That's why you and I, we need to read what God said, find out what, what's right or what's wrong. And, uh, and so thou shalt not kill has to do with murder. But it doesn't have anything to do with protecting yourself. Look at Exodus 22 with me. Exodus 22. And look, in, look with me, please. Look in verse 2. Notice what this says. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die... There shall no blood be shed for him. What's he talking about? What time is it? it this is what's happening at night. All right. Notice what it says. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall, there shall no blood be shed for him. So in other words, if I'm defending property, if I'm defending if I'm defending my family or myself, and it's in night, he has broken in. That's what that speaks of. Look at verse 3. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him. For he should make full restitution. If he hath nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So the, so the bottom line here is this. If a man enters your home, if someone breaks into your home, you're fearful for your life, 
You have not committed murder if you were to take that man's life and God would require nothing of you. Now remember, what period of time is this? We're talking about something in the Old Testament. There are laws, like I just mentioned a little bit earlier, like in New York City, they, they're not holding to this. It appears, anyway, that they're not. And so, but God made a distinction of whether or not it happened in the daytime. If a man steals something during the day, don't take his life. If you can capture him or whatever, fine. If he, and he should make restitution. If he can't, then that person is sold, himself is sold, till he pays back what he took. And so the Lord had something for each situation that was taking place. So, thou shalt not kill is talking about murder, homicide. That's the killing of another person willfully, intentionally. Suicide, that's taking your own life. And infanticide, taking the life of a child, an infant. God says that there, there's a punishment, a penalty for that. In that economy, in the Old Testament. But it didn't include the taking of the lives of animals. It didn't include... Uh, taking the life of someone who had committed one of those crimes, and it didn't include taking the life of someone who broke into your home who would do you harm or take what you have in the middle of the night. It didn't cover that. And so part of what it doesn't teach, you have to look at as well. Amen? All right, look at the next one. Do not commit adultery. I don't think that, I don't think that requires a lot of explanation. But you know, the Lord Jesus talks about those sins that were visible, but some of those things are invisible, aren't they? Don't commit adultery. In the New Testament, life under grace is really a lot more, is a lot more stringent, if you will, in this sense, just to look upon someone, to kill them, to be so angry with them, you say to your, in, your, in your own breath or whatever, in your heart, well, if I could, I'd like to get even with them. God said, man, that's a no-no. You've sinned when you've done that. And when you lust after a woman in your heart, it's, it, though, though it's, though it's uh, indirectly, it's invisible, yet God counts that. And so we're, we are responsible for these things. And so we should not do that. And so we have to be careful about our thought life. Amen? And so we don't commit adultery. We don't kill. Do not steal. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, don't you? That's why the New Testament says, let him that stole steal no more. And, but rather let him do what? Work with his own hands. And so, so that can be that way. It can be that way when you go to lunch. If you take too long for lunch and you only are clocking out for an hour, but you take an hour and a half, what did you do? You just stole 30 minutes from the boss. That's stealing. It's not just all the time picking up something and putting it in your pocket or in your lunch pail. Amen? I mean, you know, I know these are pretty, these are pretty plain and, and straightforward. Verse 16 says... Go, go to verse 16 we'll be back there in chapter 20. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. What's the bottom line there? Don't be a liar. Don't lie. Don't bring an accusation against your neighbor without a cause. Don't, don't be a busybody. Don't be a, you know. The scripture says in the book of Proverbs, where no wood is, the fire goeth out. What does he mean? You know, we have a fire sometimes. As long as you put another log on that fire, brother, we're going to talk a little longer. We're going to stay a little longer. The, the fire's going to last a little longer. So too it is with a story. When you pass something along and you haven't verified if it's true or not, and you get involved in that, you're putting a log on the fire. And don't do that. 
Don't do that. It should end with us. Amen. And don't, and I'll just throw this out here. Don't be a garbage can. Don't be a place where people just come and just dump on you and tell you everything that they know. Sometimes they want to say something. You got to put your hand up and say, hey, no, I don't want to hear that. I, I, I don't, I don't want to listen to that. I had someone call me here not too long. And I said, listen, I'm not interested. I don't want to hear about her and I don't want to hear about you. I said, I want to think about you all the way that I remember you. And I don't want you to tell me something negative. I, I'm not interested in that. And so you got to take a little responsibility for that. So, beloved, don't carry tales. Amen. Don't be a busybody. And the word, that word for busybody there, it's where the word murderer comes from. Don't be a busybody in other people's lives. You know, let it stop. Let it die right there with you. Maybe, and, you know, sometimes you say, well, I don't know what to do in those things. Well, just sometimes just don't make any comment at all. They can tell when they can tell when they've messed up. You know, the Bible says the north wind driveth away rain. So does an angry countenance upon a backbiting tongue. And you know that's true. When the north wind blows, we don't usually get rain. The north wind driveth away rain. So does an angry countenance of backbiting tongue. And so sometimes you just got to put a stop to it, beloved. These are the realities. Remember, we're talking about moral life. These things are manward that you and I have got to do. So don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Look at verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. In other words, man, you're, you're dealing with covetousness here, which is that I deserve that more than they do. Why did they get that and I didn't? Don't be desirous of those things. Learn to be content with such things as you have. And so God has given them these laws to govern their moral life. If you were to read chapters 21 through 23, I will tell you there are some, there are some judgments that I'm going to be done they concern masters and servants. And you say, well, man, brother, we don't have slavery today. I understand that. But what, 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 what we do have, we do have employers and employees, don't we? It can relate to that. And, uh, and yet, remember, we have to remember what period of time is this. This is back in the Old Testament economy. And so the, the Ten Commandments were given to govern moral life. The judgments that are mentioned in chapters 21 through 23 are given to govern social life social life how we get along what are the property rights what about when people get injured what are we supposed to do so there are certain practices what about the feast days and national relationship all those things are contained in those two chapters and remember god gave these things to show man how far he had fallen how far from the mark that he was. It's kind of like it's kind of like setting a target up there. I was trying to sight in rifle. I was at Brother Graham's, and uh, I shot that first shot. And I, we put that target. Uh, it was a big box, wasn't it? A big box. Got a big red circle on it. Probably that red circle was about that big around. I was probably about 94, 95 yards away. I had that scope on there, and I shot. And he was on the four wheeler, and, and just like a good bird dog, boom! I shot. He took off. And we looked up there, and he's looking around, looking around, and he goes, <laughs> he gives me that. He, what that means for those of you at home, I missed, all right? I missed. I didn't even hit the big cardboard box. I didn't hit the red circle. I didn't even hit the whole box. It went somewhere else. I was missing the mark. 
And, uh, and I went through eight shots, and I said, man, they just can't be. And I, so I, I levered another one up there. I, I waited for him to get back, sister. Yeah. I did. And, uh, and so I shot again, and by golly, I missed again, brother. I missed again. I didn't even hit the box. And so we start looking around, and, man, I can see some places where they had, were striking some of the logs that were back there. It looked like fresh marks. And so I was putting the crosshairs on there, but it wasn't sighted in. And God gave us that law, gave mankind his law for us to be able to tell how far we were off the mark. And if he hadn't have done that, you think about it, we'd still be in that condition. The New Testament says that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so what I had to do, I had to make some adjustment on there. I had to do some things and we had to go like start over again. And I didn't have many rounds left, but we got it to where I could hit that red circle. And so the misses were, were, if you will, were causing us to then think about those things where we had fallen short, where I had fallen short. And so the Lord Jesus then, what we learned in him is that he met every demand of God's law. And what I could not do for myself, he had done for me. Amen. What a blessing that is. Amen. And so, but, but to see the need for the Savior, I had to see how far I was off before we could get it right. And so God gave his law not to be a blistering to man, but to be a blessing to man so that he could see his need. Amen. Boy, I thank God. I thank God for the Bible. Thank God to be able to hear these things. That I could hear about the Savior and recognize my need. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the precious word of God. Thank you for the law of God, Heavenly Father. How it helped us along, Lord, and to point us in the right direction, to be our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ. I thank you, Lord, that he was able to do for us what we were not able to do for ourselves. Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for his precious blood and your precious word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.